the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For nine months, Zechariah remained silent because he did not believe the words of Gabriel, the messenger of God. This was nine months of meditation for him and silence. He could hear, of course, he could see, but he could not speak. When all was fulfilled, just as the angel had declared, his tongue was loosed and he could speak anew. And it wasn't just that he was speaking. He was singing. And after all, he had nine months to compose this canticle, this song to our Lord. And the basis for this text, it does come from the Psalms indeed, yet there was a living word among them. It is believed that Mary was indeed there, present at the circumcision, and if Mary was present, then so was the Christ child in her womb. One does well to note that the first words of Zechariah then, that day, are not about his son, John, but instead about the one who has come to bring salvation. It is not a word of personal relief or complaint, but of the Christ, one outside of himself who has come to save. They are prophecy, directed to the one who is in the womb, the one who would suffer and die, the one who would rise for our justification. May it be that our lips begin each morning with the praise to the eternal God who has visited us and redeemed us in Christ Jesus. The silence of Zechariah echoed the silence of God from the days of Malachi moving forward. We heard of those increments of time, 450 years, 400 years with the judges and with the kings and so forth. 400 years of silence of the Old Testament moving forward. The Lord had indeed spoken all that was needed for Israel to believe the promise of the coming Messiah. He had revealed in many ways and through many voices of the prophets that same prophecy concerning the Messiah that he would come. It was time to wait then and pray. And even when the prophets were no longer sent to Israel, the word of the Lord never ceased to speak, for the word of the Lord is eternal. Then were the days fulfilled that the forerunner of the Christ should appear. He was to prepare the hearts of Israel for receiving their Messiah in the flesh. His preaching would be clear a preaching that the kingdom of God is near among us. Jesus speaks of John as the, the greatest person ever born among men. And if Jesus gives John this honor, we can certainly grant an occasion to celebrate his birth this day. But it isn't just this birth. Surely the birth of a child to two aged people is indeed a miracle. That is the work of God, after all. That is the sign, though, that draws us to, to wonder, to marvel at what would come of this child in the hands of Zechariah. But the greater celebration today is the office John holds. He is the precursor, the forerunner to Jesus. He is the last of the prophets, and the one who beholds with his own eyes that which all the former prophets before him had longed to see. He holds the office as the friend of the bridegroom, 
the one who rejoices in the coming of the bridegroom, Jesus. John holds the office of one who prepares the hearts of the people with repentance. This is the day that we celebrate the Lord fulfilling his word by sending John, the forerunner, the voice of the prophets. It is a day to celebrate the eternal gifts which he proclaims the knowledge of salvation to his people in the very forgiveness of their sins. Now Zechariah teaches us in his song that John would go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He echoes Isaiah in this. Now older, when John was questioned, pressed by the authorities, if he was the Christ, he responds quite clearly and quite simply, no. When pressed further, he responded that he was a voice. A voice. John is a voice that cries in the wilderness, as Isaiah prophesied. He is a voice, along with the prophets of old, a voice that is united to the voice of Scripture, the Word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. By this voice, the glory of the Lord should be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken in the voice of the prophet. And this is how we ought to regard the voice of John. John does not go from person to person proclaiming this person is condemned, that person is condemned, and so forth. He did not come to preach condemnation. The law of the Lord reveals sin. It shows one's condemnation in unbelief, indeed. But John did not preach around these issues, nor fill his preaching with whimsical phrases and jokes. Elegance was not his style. It was quite direct. The preaching of John revealed sin so that it would be confessed and placed upon Jesus Christ. John preached not condemnation, but consolation, as we just sang, through the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Comfort. Comfort these by people. Make no mistake. John did not keep it soft, indeed. As a preacher, he pointed to the sins that needed to be confessed, whether a person needed to hear it or wanted to hear it or not. Some were called a brood of vipers, for they kept the venom of sin within themselves rather than repenting. John openly preached against the sins of the rulers, namely Herod, so that the fear of the Lord would fall upon him. And indeed, Herod wondered for a long time of this preaching and was openly perplexed. John preached the law to tax collectors, to their greed, some of whom were converted. He preached against the sin of prostitution, of the sins against the marriage bed, of which many prostitutes and sinners were saved and brought back through repentance. His voice spoke against the illicit marriage of their ruler. And due to his faithful voice of preaching Christ and his word, the truth, he paid the price with his own life. What is beautiful of this, later to celebrate his martyrdom, is that even though Herod took his life, he could not take his voice. This will teach us as well what the cost of a preacher truly is. 
formed by Christ and His teaching, yet echoing John in his preaching as well, your pastor, as well as all of those who are called, ordained, and sent into the pulpits of this world, they will preach openly to the sins of the heart, to reveal sin that it may be repented. He will reveal the sins and call and beckon that it be repented, that God would turn you away from this sin and bring you unto himself. Many will not like this piercing of the heart. They hurt when sin is revealed. Many will turn away and go another direction. Yet others will hear this preaching of John and as the prophet spoke, be returned to the Heavenly Father. They will repent and receive the mercy that has been given to generations. Families will be renewed. Marriages will be reconciled. Slander will cease and mouths will be cleansed by the word of the Lord. And his word will go forth before all. The voice of John directs you, dear Christian, to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John prepares the, the hearts of the people through the preaching so that Christ enters into the heart to purify this very heart of all sin. Christ enters in so that you are saved from your enemies, saved from certain death, saved from the sin buried deep within, saved from the attacks of the devil. You are delivered from the kingdom of this dark world and placed into the Lord's kingdom which now dwells among us. You are delivered from the hands of those who hate you, those who could only take the body but cannot kill the soul. Christ has come as the one who sets you free from the fear of eternal condemnation. Those of this world will attempt to condemn you with their own doctrines, their own false teachings. But you, dear Christian, by that call of Christ, stand before the Heavenly Father without fear, as Zacharias teaches us, without fear and with the hope of eternal life dwelling in you now. Christ has come, as John foretold. He comes as the Lamb who intercedes for you before the heavenly throne. The voice of the Lord has spoken, and you worship him without fear. John is also known as the, the friend of the bridegroom. The friend that proclaims that the bridegroom is coming. He helps with the preparations, but he's not the center of attention by any means. He adds to the beauty of the ceremony. He adds to the beauty of that which belongs to Christ. But it is not about him. And when that bridegroom comes then, all the focus remains on him. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices at the voice of the bridegroom because his task of preparation is done. So also, we leap like John at the presence of Christ among us. You, dear Christian, hear the voice of the bridegroom as Christ comes to you this day. Indeed, as you entered in, John was there, standing next to that baptismal font, forever testifying to the one baptism of Christ for the remission of sins that you have received, forever testifying to the Father's voice in baptism, calling you his beloved child, 
forever testifying that the Holy Spirit has descended upon you in those sacred waters just as He descended upon Christ. As the friend of the bridegroom, He stands alongside this altar as well, points you to these elements of bread and wine, and His voice rings out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb. To you, in the very liturgy of the church, you join your voice in confession to the same. Upon those elements, Christ has entered in, body and blood, and you sing, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy and grant us peace. The Baptist gives you this knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of sins because Christ has visited us this day. He redeems us this day in His presence. You are therefore the redeemed of the Lord. That blessed day, many years ago, the Holy Spirit gave voice to Zechariah the prophecy of Jesus' incarnation not just a celebration of his own son, but that of the incarnation of the salvation of the world. The miraculous birth of his son was the sign of greater things to come. And as John's voice would go out, the light would begin to dawn in the darkness of death. Indeed, you will exit the chapel here this day, and you will begin to see yet again the darkness of this world falling in around us. But take courage, be of good cheer. Be comforted. John reminds us that the light of Christ has already dawned and that He indeed must decrease so that Christ may increase. What's interesting about this day, there's no coincidence that we celebrate this feast day on one of the brightest days of the calendar year. It's June 25th, the opposition of Christmas. Six months away, do you feel prepared for Christmas yet? Of course, the worldly pressures will be there. But you have been prepared because, because John has come and prepared your heart through his preaching. This is, of course, the lightest day of the year around these. But there is indeed something very Christmassy about this, singing Advent hymns and of John the Baptist six months away. And this is not by coincidence that we celebrate Christmas on December 25th or this day, the Nativity of John. Scripture does testify to this. Luke gives us the clues in, in chapter 1 right away of the time when Zacharias served in the temple. We can calculate this back because the Jews are so meticulous to the very time when the priests were serving according to their customs. And we know that Zacharias would have received this word of a son to be born around September, which would give us that, ins that instruction that John would be born sometime around our June. And if Mary then had been there for so long as the Scriptures tell us, she would have received her word around March 25th when we celebrate the Incarnation, the Annunciation, of which nine months later Christ would be born. The Scripture does bring this about little by little, and thus the church celebrates. And as God has created the stars in the heavens as signs for the seasons, perhaps it is good to note that John would be born when it is lightest, Christ 
when it is darkest so that those words would ring true in our lives, that John would decrease so that he may increase. May it be so in our lives as well, putting aside all sinful desires of the flesh, that we may decrease so that Christ may increase in us. In the name of Jesus, amen.